0: Listening to the Agastya R. Bhavantaha Agastya Satram Shrinvanti.
1: You are listening to Taking Back Our Future Perspectives on Parenting and Education. A conversation with Professor Vamsi Juluri, Professor of Media Studies at the University of San Francisco and author of several books, including the best selling Rearming Hinduism. We have this great tradition of historical fiction, particularly in Indian languages, unfortunately, again, uh, as we are losing our languages and as we are, I call Indians functionally illiterate in their mother tongues, at least the, you know, the upper class, the educated, English medium educated class. Uh, you know, there are great, amazing authors like S.L. Bairpa or, you know, wrote in Kannada or, uh, you know, Kanayel Al-Munshi, whose work I'm familiar with because he wrote in Gujarati. Uh, the amazing sweeping historical fictions that just open an entire new world for you uh, so what do you think is the difference between writing something like that which is very creative which uh, you know you know uh, sort of combines historical narrative with how it may be allegorical in some sense and, and you know relates to the current situation today as opposed to writing uh, you know a, a more like a say nonfiction work like uh, rearming Hinduism? Uh, how do you compare and contrast those two forms?
0: It's, it's very interesting. I'm, I'm actually very grateful you're asking, you're asking me questions about the writing process because, you know, it's, it's very interesting. I think, yeah, many of us are, I mean, uh, functionally literate in our native uh, languages. And I think many of us are only functionally literate even in English. Mm-hmm. I mean, our relationship to English for most of us is... You know, answering an email, putting some smiley emoji, uh, <laughs> sur- surviving the insan- insanity and absurdity of corporate management communication. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you know, which is fine. But, you know, uh, there is beauty and depth and I guess mysticality, for lack of a better word, uh, even in English, if you really get into it, right? Mm-hmm. And we don't see that anymore. You know, I mean, I think Sri Aurobindo was, um, I mean, the little that I've read of Sri Aurobindo, you suddenly realize he's writing in English, but, you know, this is like a trance. You're going into a trance, uh, you know, with the words. It's out there. These words are, you know, this is not office email. <laughs> no, no, this is this is some Sanskrit, Vedic, you know, yeah. posters of the universe English, you know. Okay. So... Um, I don't know, see, because I, I to writing, you know, again, as I said earlier, as a form of, I think, uh, and maybe I I don't know if I should call it meditation or uh, expression of what it was, but something happens when I write, you know, right? small Facebook post or something. And uh, I go into these words with a lot of attention, a lot of uh, engagement, meaning intensity, um, and sometimes, you know, they turn out to be very, very useful, you know, for, for readers, you know, and not just in a practical way, but maybe, in know, emotional, spiritual way too. That's my hope. Uh, and rearming Hinduism really was very unusual because I wrote it in just three or four weeks, you know, in early wow. April 2014. Yeah, I wrote it in three, four weeks and uh, I had a wonderful editor at Westland, you know, who is a textbook leftist, by the way. <laughs> But, but, you know, I don't know why he was just blown away by that book. And he said, look, okay. um, I'm going to go, you know, I know the left has lost credibility and everything. And I mean, he didn't say it, but I knew yeah. that's kind of what he wanted to do. Right. He bought that book and, you know, because everyone has said, oh, no, Wendy Doniger, how can we, you know, <laughs> you know. come on, if you guys are fighting for free speech for, for her. Yeah, but you know, what, what's wrong with Mumsy's free speech?
1: Yeah, but no, we already know that the whole free speech is only for people yeah, whose exactly. speech they want to promote. It's not well, for for those who are who are not fitting the established narrative. Uh, and because we have a lot of parents, and including parents of kids who are in Avistia's programs, uh, the major theme I want to deal with you uh, or, or talk about for the next little next few minutes is what I would call Hindu parenting in a, in a Hindu phobic world where, um, mm-hmm. uh, you know, uh, where the world is, we are surrounded by pervasive Hindu phobia and everywhere from, I mean, we posted your analysis of a grade six textbook from California on our Twitter handle and it got it just touched a raw nerve, right? You can see it starts right from, you know, great school textbooks all the way to where you are in academia to, whatever sphere it is you are in. So this this poses unique challenges for, for Hindus who want to raise their children, uh, you know, uh, not alienated from mainstream, but who are comfortable both with, you know, working in the mainstream and who are, you know, who are rooted in their identity and who have, I would say, a right to feel equal to anybody else, right? So that's a theme. Maybe I can start with one question. So let's say first question is you recently wrote a Facebook post about the danger of parents thinking Hinduism is something children shouldn't even think about until their old age you know when they're retired 60s 70s that's when you get into the spiritual Baba stuff and start reading Vedas and Upanishads. and you know it has uh, you know no relevance for kids when they're growing up so can you tell us more about this you know general model of cultural extinction that you described in this uh, in,
0: in this Facebook post and the dangers of thinking in that way, uh, I was very surprised when this post I wrote, you know, really got shared. It got like over 100 shares, and it's probably the most widely thing I wrote on Facebook ever without a photo, too. So, yeah. you know, which is incredible. Uh, well, the topic was very, uh, you know, grave in a sense. You know, it suddenly occurred to me that this whole postponement, this kind of life planning we are doing as parents, you know, for our children, particularly in terms of education and uh, you know, civilizational survival uh, is really, really um, flawed. Because at least for two generations now, we are seeing this whole thing uh, of parents sort of saying no, no, the important thing right now is just studies and job, you know, spirituality is for old age, you know. And let me explain how I view this generationally. And again, my interest in looking at everything in terms of generational sociology comes from my first research project which was on AMTV in India in the nineties. And I realised there was so much going on about you know parents and children and youth and now I see it in a slightly bigger way. So the first generation of Indians who were born after colonialism, you know, people slightly older than me, people who grew up, say, you know, fifties to seventies. They got that from their parents because economically they were very very worried you know they said like no no don't become a monk or sadhu you must just study and become an engineer get a job now post 90s there's a lot of prosperity there's a huge middle class first time you have people who are out earning their previous you know their parents so mm-hmm. the, the generation which is parenting right now right which uh post 1980s born people most of them are probably earning more than their parents ever did. So they actually have a lot more uh, economic freedom to do things. Uh, but they have the same anxiety that oh, our children should not be distracted from the very competitive realities of the world. So we should uh, f- you know, push them away from asking us questions about spirituality or culture and philosophy you know, they have to focus on Spilling Bee and, you know, math and science and get into engineering and get a job. And later in old age, yeah, if they want, they can do that stuff. So this is very flawed in my view because of two or three reasons. The first reason is children are craving meaning. And I know we have a question on that. So I'll just save that for later. Children are craving meaning. And by the time they're 20, if you've not given them the tools to make meaning from within our own philosophy, they're going to be so unhappy. They're going to be confused and led in all sorts of directions. Now, even if that doesn't happen, even if their you know childhood Balvihar and um, loving family has given them you know a little bit of rooting. Let's say you know they don't become unhappy, but they do take your advice and say, uh, "All right, yeah, you know, I, I turned out okay. You know, I go to temple once in a while. Uh, so I'm not going to force my kids. They can do this when they are old." So mm-hmm. that attitude comes in. So this is basically what happens. So the children today, right, who've grown up with the idea that they needn't think about these issues till they're 60 years old, mm-hmm. are going to grow up and become parents. And the entire lifespan of their parenting, right, mm-hmm. from the time they're 30 to 60, they've brought up their children with zero exposure. Right. Right. And, uh, you know, and then I wrote in my posters, and then you have somebody like Amartya Sen who boasts that, you know, he grew up in a house with no puja and no murtis. And that explains everything you write now, my friend. (laughs) Yes, thank you very much. (laughs) So, so I think that is, this is like a three-generational view that we all need to take. And um, so, I think that's why I also said, you know, start writing memoirs and start... Actively engaging in intergenerational, um, you know, yeah. communication. So I, I would add two things to that, Amsi. Uh, that's great insight. One, I would say
1: the other problem that people are not realizing is dharma is a lived experience, and living the experience starts from you know the day you're conceived, before even you're born, right? And you, that's a way to also connect with your community, connect with other people, share in these ideas and dialogues, and 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 grow fulfilled as a person and that cannot wait until you're in your 60s or 70s because by the time like you said you're an empty shell you you really don't have anything that has given you a meaning or even connection with you know with other people who shared your beliefs and shared your ideas uh, nor have you grown up with them uh, you know uh, or even, you know, gone through the traditions. And, and, and you know, that leads to basically a decline of our rituals, decline of celebrating our festivals. And, and this entire lived experience is lost, which gives you so much fulfillment, joy, and meaning uh, as a human being. So uh, that is one thing I want to, want to uh, point out. The second thing I want to point out is within traditional education, which is kind of what we are doing, there is tremendously valuable ways of Becoming successful in Viharika, right in in the in your day to day life, in your resthastram, in your pursuit of in your professional pursuits and careers, and that's something we are bringing into through our For example, uh, you know we did a great video on the importance of memorization, and we are teaching memorization and Sanskrit to kids, and it's incredible that my five and seven year old kids are now able to recite, you know, so many sutras from Panini's grammar. And when they grow up, uh, you know, the grammar, learning the grammar becomes the foundation of understanding computer science, which gives them a competitive edge. Uh, so we are missing both on the practical and, you know, applications of stuff that is in our traditional model systems that can make us different and give us an advantage over others uh, in the mainstream. And we are also missing... The lived experience of a dharmic way of life, which is basically what Hinduism is. It it, it it gives you a template to live your life with. And if you haven't lived it right from the beginning, how will you suddenly get up in your 60s and start living that? It's not possible. Agastya Gurukulam is a non-profit organization dedicated to reviving the traditional system of Bharatiya Shiksha and decolonizing education. Agastya runs the world's first and only Sanskrit immersion online schools. Would you like your child to be deeply rooted in traditional Bharatiya culture and yet successful in the contemporary world? Explore Agastya's part-time and full-time learning opportunities. For more information, visit Agastya's website at wwwagastya Admissions are now open for the 2021-22 school year.